Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. The church has always been a supernatural community. And honestly, that's one of the most cringeworthy things about the church. It's not that churches are cringeworthy because there's like priests and bells and smells and choirs and robes and there's this bread thing and wine and the priest holds up the thing and like the holy water and all of that kind of stuff and weird architecture, all that kind of stuff. Maybe you could say that's cringeworthy, but I think historically, maybe the weirdest thing about the church is that it has been and, and is supposed to be a supernatural community, that, that things happen within the church where God's power is at work. Now, the idea of God's power at work in people is um, uncomfortable for us, right? I mean, it is for me. I don't know, I don't know how it is for you. Like, I, I love the idea in theory that God's power is at work in me or in you, but in practice, I, I get very nervous about it because I've seen it like abused and I've seen people get really weird around the idea of God's power. Like, we started this conversation two weeks ago when I was up here. We talked about spiritual gifts, that God, through his spirit, has put gifts inside of each of us. And there are certain gifts that God's power is at work in you through those gifts that are fine. If you said to me, I have the gift of administration and God really uses me, I would think, oh, you can, like, organize the heck out of things and, like, you can make the trains run on time and you can, you know, things like that. That doesn't scare me right? I'm, I'm cool with that. If you're like, I have the gift of hospitality. I, I make people feel at ease almost in, a, in, a, in a, like an uncanny way. Like God has, has empowered me and I, and I just have a way of setting people at ease and, and, and making them feel connected. I love that too. That doesn't scare me. If you come up to me and say, I have the gift of prophecy in tongues, then I'm like, okay, this is when it gets weird in church. Like I was cool with you when you were administrative, but now you're going to start doing this thing. And, and worse, if you're like, hey, Chris, I have the gift of prophecy, and God just told me to say this to you. I don't know, I don't know how you feel about that kind of stuff. But it, to me, it's not dissimilar to when you hear a shotgun loading, like a, you know, like that universal sound. Like someone said, I just heard a word from the Lord for you. And I'm like, oh, no, no, don't hear a word of the Lord for me. I don't know. Like, okay, so. I'm just keeping it real with you, where I've been in my life and, and the way this can be, this kind of stuff can be super cringeworthy. And I want to talk about it because um, we're going to talk about the gift of prophecy today. And what was weird for us, what might be weird for us around that was weird for the church in Corinth as well. We've been reading through the, church, the, the book, the, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth this entire year. We're, we're wrapping it up today, actually. And we're going to do just a small piece of 1 Corinthians 14. We actually covered 1 Corinthians 15 in earlier messages this year. We're going to wrap this book up, and, and the church in Corinth had a lot of issues, especially here in the last couple of chapters we looked at around, uh, they did not handle gender roles very well, they, did not, they didn't even handle communion well, um, there was a lot of challenges and dissension within the church, a lack of unity, and so Paul writes this letter, and thank, it, it's good for us that they blew it because Paul writes a corrective letter, and then we get to learn from the correction now, thousands of years later, okay, what were they doing, what should we be doing? 
instead. So I want us to get into this um, and, and, and dive into 1 Corinthians. We'll start with uh, chapter 14, but we'll start with verse 1. I'll put it up on the screen. It, just this one verse says this, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. All right, I, I love the early part of that verse, pursue love. We could talk about that all day, right? But the good thing is TJ talked about that last week. There's an entire chapter, that just the, the words right before this in 1 Corinthians 13, that was talking about love. And Paul reminds, especially as he's getting into some uncomfortable, weird topics, he reminds them, look, pursue love. Love is central to this thing. I thought TJ did a great job with that last week. Love is, is central to the whole thing. All of these contentious issues that fly around in the church and in culture at the heart. We need to be unified and we need to be loving, a loving community defined by love that we love one another, we love others. Not that we don't challenge each other, not that we don't speak up with conviction. Yes, we do all those things, but we should be known for and be defined as a people of love. And Paul reminds them of that. So look, it's like, hey, I'm about to get into some sensitive stuff. I just want to remind you right up front, pursue love. Let that be central to the community. And then he says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Um, I think it's weird that it tells us to desire spiritual gifts. Because I would think we get them from the Lord. When we're, we're baptized, we come to Christ, and, and God gives us, uh, his spirit works us, gives us spiritual gifts. Um, that we wouldn't need to desire them. We would just like either have them or not. But, but apparently, um, he, he wanted to remind us that, that you, you, you want these things. You want God's power um, at work in, in your life. You're, he's told to desire it. And I, and I think maybe the reason we're reminded of that or we're told to desire it is because it's very easy for us to function on our own power and not be connected into spiritual gifts at all. If I could say one of the tragedies maybe of the Western church, maybe the American church, but maybe this applies to a lot of sort of modern Western churches, is you can build great churches without having the Spirit of God at all at work in your church. You can build impressive churches. You can, if you have really good communicators, if you have really good music that people love, if your children's ministry is just great, if you do good programming for students, basically you sort of cover those bases, uh, lots of people prior to pandemic, right? Lots of people would show up and be, be a part of, in some way, those kind of churches. Now, whether the Spirit of God is at work in those churches doesn't matter necessarily. You could may, maybe build something sociologically or like culturally that like works, and you can have really good marketing and advertising. You can be very clever, and, and people would want to be connected to that kind of thing. I don't know how true that is anymore. Um, but I think that's actually a tragedy of it, is that we would try to build things without the Spirit, that we would be the kind of people who don't desire the Spirit, who, who don't want to build something through God's power. We need God's power to change, to grow, to become the community God wants us to be, not our own power. Anyone who's ever gone through AA will tell you that the, the first step of AA is to acknowledge that you ain't it, like that you don't have the power to fix this, and that there is a higher power than you. Well, AA is serious about helping people change. AA is, AA is more serious about helping people change than most churches are, honestly. And I think there's something very powerful there. They start with the acknowledgement of there is a higher power than you, and you're going to need to tap into that power if you're going to be changed. Now, I know you and I can all point to evidence of people who have changed without God's power, right? You know, people who have lost 100 pounds run a marathon, overcome great traumatic odds, all that. And they've done so ostensibly without God's power. They didn't acknowledge God. They didn't pray for a solution, that kind of thing. And I get that. I probably have examples of that. You could probably come up with examples. But I think that's another example of God's grace, actually, that God 
um, gives good gifts to all people and gives them the possibility to change. I think there is something that happens in us through discipline and, and hard work and effort and all that kind of stuff. Like I, I think God has created the body to respond in a certain way and that when we, when we adhere to some of the principles or the guidelines of the way he's made us, we can accomplish some things. But I still think there is another level of transformation that occurs when we are dialed into his power because he gets down to the very root and the core of our struggles and makes changes and, 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 and basically works us over from the inside out. Honestly, all of that is very weird for me to say because I really like the idea that transformation is something completely within my control. I love to think that all change and growth will be because I did it. Like, I, 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 the, the inner control freak in me wants to be able to sit here and tell you that you can do anything and you can do it because you did it, because you just need to think right and act right and everything will be right. Right? I, I, I'm very comfortable in that world. You're thinking bad thoughts, think good ones. You're doing stupid things, stop doing that, do good things. If you, and if you will just do all that, everything will change and you'll be fine. I, I wish I could tell you that. But the truth is, yes, I believe in hard work and discipline and all of those things, and, 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 and I really believe in doing the work of examining your thinking and your emotions and your desires and all of that. But at the end of the day, you have to have God's power at work in your life to uproot things inside you and, and really move the needle. You have to ask him to do his, his part. We can live in a disciplined way as we walk on the path with Jesus, but we ask him, we ask his spirit to work in us and, and, and change us. So he says, desire the spiritual gifts. Desire the spiritual side of life. Dig into this stuff, he says. And then he says, especially that you may uh, prophesy. So prophecy, let's talk about that. Um, what is it and why would we desire it? Okay, um, here is a slightly wordy definition of what prophecy is. The gift of prophecy, I'll put it on the screen. The gift of prophecy is a miraculous act of intelligible communication rooted in spontaneous divine revelation and empowered by the Holy Spirit, which results in words that can be attributed to any and all persons of the Godhead and which therefore must be perceived by those who hear or read them as absolutely binding and true. That's impressive, right? It's a lot of a lot of words in there. It's got to be right. It has all the words. Um, in a nutshell, we're saying prophecy is God speaks, you listen, and, you, and it is, then you speak it to someone else. And they understand it as being, um, this, is, this is the word from the Lord. You get a word from the Lord, and you speak up. Now, you see this all throughout the Scripture. Especially in the Old Testament, you see there's entire books of prophecy and entire, entire uh, groups of people that are considered the prophets to Israel. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Micah, Amos, these people, they are, they are prophets. These are people who hear God's word and then speak it to the people. But one thing you need to notice, if you've ever read those Old Testament prophets, one thing you want to notice there is they're, they're, they, they give a lot of like, thus saith the Lord, and often what they're delivering is bad news, and they really, really hate their jobs. Like, Nobody's like, I can't wait to be a prophet when I grow up. No, it's the worst. If you, if you don't believe me, read Jeremiah. He's called the weeping prophet for a reason. That dude's life was miserable because nobody wants this job. Your job is God speaks to you. You stand before the king of you know, Babylon and say, God's really mad at you and he's going to burn your kingdom down. Nobody wants that job because the king will just have you killed. 
You're like, I don't want to say that to those people. Like, God, you tell them. I'm not going to. God's like, no, I got you to be my mouthpiece. I'm like, oh, I don't want that job. So, so, so anyone who's like, man, I just love being a prophet. You do not love being a prophet. That's not a thing. If you're speaking the word of the Lord. But, but notice, uh, if, you, if you really read through the prophets and see what they're saying, we tend to think of, when we think of prophecy, we think, oh, that's kind of like um, fortune telling. It's like, it's like saying this is going to happen in the future God told me that this is your future. And that's where it gets really weird for us. But the majority of prophecy in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is not really like that. It's not fortune telling per se. It is, hey, God is saying this to our community right now and this is a word from the Lord. And, and, and sometimes if there's anything future, it'll be like, hey, God says if you go down this path, it's gonna go badly for you and it's gonna look like this. Or if you go down this path, it could look good and it's gonna look like this. There's like these blessings and woes kind of thing that you see in prophecy as well. A, a lot of prophecy is just hearing from the Lord and then speaking up and saying, this is, what, this is where I think God is, is talking to us and where, where he's leading us. Um, prophets heard from God and they passed on the message. Now, there's two main schools of thought about prophecy today. One uh, school of thought is called cessationist. Cessationist. Uh, what that means is almost in the title, cessation, like these things have ceased. So there's a, a school of thought that would say the gift of prophecy or spe- you hearing a word from God and speaking it to the, pe- the people, that's over. Those days are gone. That was for the Israelites. That was for the early church because they didn't have the written word of the Bible. But now that we have the written word of God all there for us, there's no need to to do that anymore. So that gift has ceased to happen, right? Cessationist. Um, The other school of thought is called continuationist. And it would be the opposite of that, right? It would be the people who are saying, hey, God spoke to people um, through dreams, visions, audibly, in their conscience, whatever. God spoke to people. They speak up. He did that in the past. He is still doing that kind of thing today. Let me tell you where I'm at, um, and this probably puts me uh, on your team or off your team. I don't know. This will either freak you out or, or you're good with it, depending on your upbringing and, I don't know, whatever political party we're voting for these days or whatever. Okay, so uh, I used to be a cessationist, and, I'm, and as I get older, I get much more continuationist. I, I, I think that's... I think that's about the cleanest way I could say it. I used to, through training, thought, prayer, scripture reading, whatever, I would, I would come to this thing and go, yeah, I think that these gifts, I mean, I don't think every gift of God is continuing today. No one is parting the Red Sea, for example, today. That's just not happening. Like, so I was like, okay, God did some things then. He, do, he doesn't do that now. Um, but I think, it, generally speaking, uh, we need to be people who hear from God and, and speak up about it. And, and so I'm like, no, I think God does speak through people today. Um, and, and I want to check it to make sure it aligns with his word when someone speaks up. I, you know, uh, if someone says, this is what the Lord said, and it sounds a lot more like what Satan would say, like, I want to know that and, like, point that out. Like, nah, I don't know, that, that ain't right, you know. That's it always making me nervous. Hey, I've got a word from the Lord from you, for you, and it's like, how come God didn't tell me that? How come he's telling you? That's weird, right? So I, I get, I get the, the cautions with it, but I think there's something to it, that God speaks to us, and then we speak up, um, I would like to normalize that. And in fact, it is kind of normal throughout Christianity. I don't know if you remember a couple years ago um, when he was vice president, Mike Pence mentioned that he hears from Jesus. And um, this idea got ridiculed like in, the, in sort of the popular media. Um, I think it was Joy Bihar on, a, on The View. She kind of ripped on him and said, well, if, you know, 
I don't like the idea that my vice president is hearing voices. Like, that's a mental illness. And then it always brings up the question, what does Jesus' voice sound like? And all that kind of stuff. Like, you got to go through all that. Um, but Mike Pence was not being weird. Like, he was articulating something Christians for millennia have said, which is that God communicates with me. It doesn't have to be an audible voice. Some people have that experience. I haven't had that experience. But God communicates to us. He, he whispers in our conscience. He speaks to us. And I think we should normalize that and say, no, it is normal for the people of God to hear from God, even today, and to be able to speak up about it. Yes, we want to check it against Scripture and, and all of that. I understand that. Um, but it, but it, it, it should be a, a normal thing for us. Now, the problem is, this is my, maybe where you want to throw in the towel. If you're a follower of Jesus and you go, I don't think God speaks to me. That's never, I'm, your conclusion will either be, one, I'm broken. That's why God doesn't speak to me. He speaks, because other people, you'll, you get in a small group or something, and someone will say, you know, I really feel like God's telling me this. And then you're quietly in the corner going, God never tells me anything. Why do these people, why does God speak to them and not me? And it's weird, right? So you might, you might go there with this and go like, oh, God doesn't speak obviously God doesn't speak to me, I'm broken. Or you would just say, the whole idea is ridiculous. Like, no, God does not really speak to people. Those people who thought they heard from God just had a weird meal and indigestion issues. And I, I don't know, like it's, it's, you might just say it's ridiculous. Well, I get that. But let's look at why God would do this, speak through us now, and like what the point of it, what it's, what it's about. Let me, let me read on 1 Corinthians verse 2 of chapter 14. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for the upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Okay, there's two things there, prophecy and speaking in tongues, or speaking in a tongue, as he says. Um, I was really going to talk about both of those today. But if you don't want to be here till 6 o'clock tonight, I had to cut that out. Uh, so I cut out the tongue. Uh, um, tongues. Uh, so we're not, I'm not going to talk about that, okay? Just, you're just going to have to roll with me. Just go with me on this. We're not going to talk about that. I, I've contemplated maybe just putting a video together because I'm not getting to the rest of 1 Corinthians. We might put that in and put that out. Uh, put together a video of that and put it out later. But just on the prophecy piece to, to notice what he says. He basically says prophecy does three things. Number one, prophecy builds people up. The word for this prophecy, building people up, the word for that is edify, which is not a word, man, I almost ever hear outside of church or, or, or have ever heard in my life out of a church context. Prophecy builds people up. It edifies them. Um, this is when you speak a word from the Lord to someone and it, it, um, it, it, it strengthens them spiritually. It's when you point people to the truth of a situation and, and, and potentially you, you, you like gently instruct them and say, um, hey, this is, the, this is a word from the Lord on this issue. So someone's struggling with something and, and you say, all right, God, God speaks about that here and this is, this is a, an insight, a nuance to that, and, and, and God is, is speaking to you about, about that, perhaps. Um, let's say you're struggling. So, so practically what this might sound like, you're struggling with a relationship issue, and maybe someone gets a word from the Lord, and they speak to you, and they say, um, hey, God wants you to put that person's needs ahead of your own. God wants you to put that person's needs ahead of your own. Um, that, 
I don't know how you would experience that, um, but I think that is a, 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 a form of prophecy, of a, of a prophetic word. Because it's true, Philippians 2 would back that up, that it is our role to put the needs of others ahead of our own and consider others better than ourselves is what Paul teaches us there. So it's true, um, but, but applied to our direct situation. Hey, hey, I know you're struggling with this thing. God wants you to put that person's needs ahead of your own. Um, that could be exactly the right word at the right time to build you up. Uh, I had an experience of this recently, actually, and um, one of my best friends, I was struggling with uh, relationship stuff. I was, uh, my, my wife and, and I had been fighting. I don't know if that freaks you out. We do fight uh, time to time. I, I'll, maybe I'll describe it in great detail someday to you. I, <laughs> I don't know. No, she's like, no, you won't. Uh, no, I won't. Um, but I was talking to a friend, you know, and, and you know how when you relay um, you know how when you relay a story of a, of a conflict, have you ever noticed that when you tell someone about a conflict you had with someone else, you're the hero when you tell the story? You know? Because the other person clearly has blown it. And so you tell the story and you're like, you know, and then she was like this, and then I said, and I said this, and then she said this. You know, like you, you've done that, right? Well, I was doing that. I was doing that game with uh, one of my closest friends who's a, a minister at a church up in Maryland. And... Um, Man, he, he, he lit me up in a, in a, in a loving sort of way and, and was basically like, you're not, here's what you're not doing. This is what God has for you. Um, and I, it stung a little bit. Um, I didn't love it. And he was right. And I had to think differently and repent of that kind of behavior um, because, because, you know, that is that kind of word spoken. And it strengthened me um, and, and, and helped me to grow. Uh, so prophecy can do that. Number two, prophecy encourages people. Um, usually when we say the word encourage, we, we usually mean something like, let me say this thing that's going to make you feel better. Oh, you know, it's, encouragement's like, turn that frown upside down. You know, like, oh, hang in there. Oh, well, at least it didn't, wasn't like this, or oh, that, 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 that's, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine, that kind of thing. But literally, encouragement means to give courage to people. So they lack it, and you are trying to help pour it into them. Well, what is courage? What are we pouring into people? Um, a, a, a friend of mine gave this great definition. I asked him where he got it from, and he said it was his. So I'm like, so it belongs to a friend of mine. But it says, courage is the resolve to be shaped by vision. Courage is the resolve to be shaped by vision. So you have a vision of where you want to go and what you think is better and what is a better way to live and how you want to be and then how you want to show up in the world. Courage is going to be the thing is the, that, that will give you that resolve to actually do it and, and to walk it, walk it out. You will, it will take courage to live out this vision for your life. I have seen this show up uh, really in the last couple of years. Um, when let's take an issue like a pandemic okay for example right there's that's a thing so we go okay there's a pandemic there's everything's changing schools and churches and businesses and 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 all this and there are there are lots of ways to respond to that and there's lots of ways to process it one you just take it like a human you go well i'm made of flesh and i'm i can break and die and so what do i do about this this is a real thing and i need to just me and then I sort of go like, okay, 
And I assess risk of myself. How healthy am I? How old am I? What categories of, what comorbidities might I have? You know, those kind of things, right, myself. Then I think about my family. What does it take to protect my family? Is my family okay and in what ways? And, and what are their risk assessment? And let me think that through that. And then I think um, as a leader in a community, what does it look like for a church? How should we process this? Um, and then I think things about like, what is it as a Richmonder? How am I being a good neighbor to the neighbors in my community? And in this around here, what does it look like to be, have that? And then as a Virginian, as an American, and, and these like citizen statuses that we have, you know, how do I process all of this um, there? And then on top of that, I have this layer of, I am a kingdom person. I am a follower of Jesus. I have a vision for what human flourishing should look like. I have a vision from Jesus for what the good life is supposed to be. And so I am pursuing that and need to be pursuing that with my whole life, for my whole life. And as a kingdom person then, I also have to evaluate things that come along like a pandemic. Where does that fit in with the vision of the kingdom? Where does that fit in with who God is calling me to be? How can I be loving in the situation? How can I be helpful in the situation? What does it look like to put other people's needs ahead of my own? Um, and sometimes when we have a vision of our future that God has given us uh, following Christ, that puts us into conflict with our neighbors sometimes. Um, maybe I'm going to live in ways that my neighbors won't live. And so when crisis comes, something like a pandemic comes along or a war or whatever, um, it requires courage to stay the course. It requires courage to, to keep that resolve, to stick with the vision that God has given you. Because it's so easy to fall off course and just kind of get sucked into the gutter and, and into all the problems. And sometimes a prophetic word from someone can bring you courage and it reminds you to stay the course. I have experienced this um, with Tom Scott. Some of you know Tom here at our church. He's one of the elders of our church. And uh, Tom, in, in my experience, I don't need, if he took the spiritual gifts test, I don't even know if he'd test out on prophecy or whatever. But in my experience, Tom has given me over the years a couple times a prophetic word of God is telling you, Chris, uh, to, to, and it'll be something like to stay the course, to um, because leadership is hard, and if we're in a hard season and things aren't going well, and I'm frustrated, and he can see it, um, Tom has not not a ton, uh, but over over the years has at times spoken up with a word and said, "Hey, God has this for us, and God wants this for us, and this is the way to go." And and the scripture is clear about this thing, and and I, and I think that is a prophetic word from God through Tom to me, and it lands at right, at just the right time um, that he that he speaks up. Um, and that's a good thing. This doesn't have to be cringy. Um, we don't have to, when we speak up the word from the Lord, we don't have to start it with, thus saith the Lord, and then roll out a thing, you know? Or go the other way and like sound, try to sound like a fortune cookie, you know? We don't, you don't have to do that, you know? Like, uh, you, God is saying that if you look back, you will soon be going that way. Eh, that's not God. That's a fortune cookie. That's not what that, that's weird. Um, we don't need to do that. Um, a prophetic word and a gift of prophecy in, in, in practice can look like, hey, I've heard this thing. I think God is trying to say this and then sharing it with someone and helping them be encouraged and, and build and get resolve. Um, it, it can look like that. Uh, and then finally, prophecy consoles people. Um, uh, the scripture I was thinking of, this is Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11. It, it says this. 
Uh, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. So there's, there's something about exactly the right word at exactly the right time that, that makes a difference for us. It, 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 it changes things. It's, it's a powerful thing when we speak a word from the Lord to someone who's hurting. Now, if we're going to console people with a prophetic word, this is different than just saying in, nice, encouraging things to people who are hurting. We all have that. We've all experienced that. And we can all do that on our own power. You can, you know, they write greeting cards for this. Like, you can, you can find things to say, oh, I'm sorry, that, like, what you're going through, that's awful. And, and empathy is good. And speaking up when someone is hurting is good. All of that is, is, is valuable. Um, and, and all of us know what it's like at some point to have a friend come alongside us and try to speak to us in a way to be uplifting. But a prophetic word is from the Lord. And it might sound something more like, hey, um, God is seeing you right now, and he, and he sees what you're going through, and, and he wants you to know that you won't fall. Now, now to say that to someone is risky, right? It's bold. It's, it could be weird. Um, but, I, but I think it's, it's a, it can be a prophetic word, and it can be extremely powerful. There's something about those words that will hit more deeply with us than it's going to be okay or everything's going to work out in the end and if everything's not working out then it's not the end or something that I don't know Dev Patel said in a movie one time I, like, if we can m- move past that to this is the word from the Lord I think there's something very powerful here and I, and I think because I think some pain is so deep that a word from the Lord is what is needed um, I I want you to look at this sculpture. I, I saw this. Yeah, I wanted to give you a minute because it took me a minute when I saw it. Um, it's by a, a, a guy named Albert Georgi, and that sculpture lives on the shores of Lake Geneva in Switzerland. Um, the name of the sculpture is Melancholy. And the reason he made it is because his wife had died. And he was an artist, and this is part of the grieving process. And I saw that, and I just thought, man, that's, that's it. Some things hurt so bad, it's like you're just hollowed out in the center. And you know what that's like, right? I've heard stories. I've, I've, I've been with some of you when you got the news. I've, I've, I've heard your stories. I've read your prayers. I've prayed for you. There are some things that hurt so bad, it's just like you're, you're hollowed out. Um, it actually made me think of, um, in, the, in the musical Hamilton, towards the end, there's a Alexander Hamilton, spoiler alert, his son dies, and um, there's a song about the grief that they have, that he and his wife have with that. It's called The Unimaginable, and and the opening lyrics to that song are this. Let me read them to you. You got them on the screen? Oh, there they are. Uh, There are moments that the words don't reach. There is suffering too terrible to name. You hold your child as tight as you can and push away the unimaginable. I think there are moments that the words just 
we don't have them. That you, 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 my word is not going to help you when you're in it, and your word might not help me. Um, there's, there's some suffering that we experience where you just don't have the words to, to handle it. Um, and, and in those moments, I think a prophetic word from the Lord can, can be helpful and it can heal. Now, we have to be careful with that. We have to be um, really rooted in our faith and praying and hearing the Lord clearly and, and we have to be gentle um, but I think a, a prophetic word of the Lord can console people in some of the hardest stuff that we walk through. I hope all of this takes some of the cringiness out of the idea of prophecy. That we remember most of it is not fortune telling or something like that or, or future prediction. Most of it is simply this, hear from the Lord and then speak up. And that's going to require some boldness. If, if God is going to lead this community, this church, into the future, um, I'm convinced, and we're going to spend a lot of energy around this, around uh, in, in 2022, praying and fasting uh, a season leading up into Easter, um, I'm convinced that we need to be a community that hears from God and then speaks up about it and, and speaks to one another, um, pours courage where needed, console where needed, strengthen when needed. We need to be that way. But if we're going to do this, if, if you go, man, how would I even prophesy? Um, I'm just so busy. I'm working this job, and these kids are this, and I'm dating, and it's like this, and I've got all this stuff going on. How does this even fit into my life? Here's, here's what I would say, and this would be advice I would give you for hearing from God, but this would be advice I would give you that we're going to lean a lot more into in, in March. But it, it's basically this. Number one, quiet your heart. Two, ask God to speak to you. And three, act on what he tells you. Quiet your heart. That's the first step because it's so noisy out there. And quiet your heart is a little bit different than just quiet all the noise. That's part of it. But you've got to sit for a while and, and breathe and ask God to speak. Maybe, maybe read through a scripture and, and dial into it. The Psalms are good for this because the Psalms are heart stuff. Quiet your heart and ask God, God, will you speak to me? I want to hear from you. Will you speak in a way that I can understand and, and know it's you? And then finally, act on what he tells you. Maybe it's going to require the boldness to do something. Maybe it requires the boldness to speak up. I mean, you keep asking God to speak to you. If you don't act on what he says, how, how is that going to go? You're like, God, speak up. And then he does. And you're like, I'm not going to do anything with that. And God's like, fine, I'm going to stop telling you then. Like, <laughs> you know, like, listen when he, when he speaks and, and act on it. Um, I, I think that is, and, and when we speak that to one another, that is a, a prophetic thing that we do, and it will encourage us and build up the community and make us stronger. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of prophecy and the spiritual gifts within the church. I pray that we do, as Paul tells us here, we desire them. We uh, speak to one another uh, these words in love, as, as love is so central, like we talked about last week. Um, and I, I pray that you help us be a community that really hears from you and, and, and relies on that as we move forward. God, we don't want to be a church that's, uh, you know, just something like beautiful buildings and good music and communication and marketing and all the things. Um, 
We want to do everything that we do. We want to do it well because we want to glorify you and honor you with what we do. So we want to give our best to it. But we want to be a supernatural community, Lord. Um, that is what you call the church to be. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.